You're listening to episode 247 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Hey, y'all, it's me, Miss Minutes. Coming in, it's a Supercomputer Tuesday on Comics Pals Radio. That's what you guys do here, right? It's a comics, it's a, ra- a, a radio, right? Yeah, no, you got it. Usually it's on Mondays, but... Okay, Tuesday then. Good, good. Okay, thanks, Miss Minutes. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. How y'all doing today? Doing well, Miss Minutes. A little, um, uh, little upset. My, one of my buddies fills oh, in here. Oh, what's wrong? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, but, he'll come back, though. I mean, Ooh, I hope wait. not, but... I think we might have pruned him. Damn. Oh. You know, uh, I gotta say, like, I'll, I'll miss him and everything. I don't, I don't think he's coming back from the void. Hang on, let, let me check our files. Ooh, yeah, he gone. Damn, gone. you know what, though? He's, he'll be okay because there's probably a lot of fills that have been pruned, and so they probably <laughs> created the council of fills together. Miss Minutes, mm. is there any way that we could get Phil replaced with a variant fill that has better jokes, better timing, anything? Would you... Would you believe there's not one? Not in the whole multiverse? Yeah, not would. in the whole multiverse. Wow. The best the best I can give you is a multiverse where there wasn't even a feel. I mean, you know what? All right. If that's what we have to do. All right, let me get that one. <laughs> well, for this week, we're living in that one anyway. So uh, no fill, but you get the rest of us, and that's just as good. Uh, there's a lot to talk about this week we've got some black widow box office numbers i know everybody is is curious about how this movie would do the first uh marvel movie in two years in theaters uh, i love numbers <laughs> thank you miss miss minutes uh, y'all need anything leave. just let me know you know what we don't all right <laughs> all right thank you uh don't come back now you hear <laughs> rude the supercomputer, Sean. Look <laughs> at the hell out. Um, we've got a new Mark Millar book, if you can believe that. Another one? Oh, I believe it. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean and, a new Netflix series pitch? Or? Uh, well, it's, it's actually already announced as a Netflix show or movie. So, yeah. Also, uh, a Hollywood Reporter, art, Reporter article came out that doesn't paint Marvel and DC in a good light as far as their pay uh, for creators who created the characters we love on film. So we're going to be talking about that. Uh, Lots of good stuff to discuss today. Definitely want to let you guys know how you can support the podcast. If you're so inclined, make sure that you guys are hitting that follow button, uh, leaving us a rating or review wherever you're listening. If that happens to be YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button for free, like the video, share it with your friends, drop us a comment. All those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. If you want to chat with us, you can leave us a comment wherever you're listening, or head over and send us an email at thecomicspals.gmail.com. Check us out on social media at thecomicspals, and come join our Discord server, where we're always having really fun and engaging conversations. The finale of Loki was a major uh, conversation point this week over on the Discord. So, as per usual, uh, that the TV party channel is full of black boxes uh, because, you know, we don't want to spoil things for the people. We're so, good like that. Not like Marvel. Oh. Damn. <laughs> thank you. Uh, 
thank you. I'm glad you got that jab in there because it's deserved. <laughs> yeah, they they earned all the smoke. Sean, I, I heard you guys. Uh, I heard the review, and I had a question for you guys. It's not random. Okay, is it a spoiler? It mm, yes. You know what, Marco? Uh, why don't you go ahead and ask your question? Because we're gonna we're gonna talk about Loki anyway for a little bit. So. Uh, if you are wanting to avoid spoilers for Loki, just go ahead and skip ahead a little bit. Use the tam- the timestamps for guidance here. With the reveal of Kang, right? My thinking is in each of the movies. <laughs> I asked you if it was a spoiler. I said hesitated. yes. He's you like, weren't positive. Mm, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> so I I had the thought that what if in each of these subsequent movies he's the villain or like a version of him is the villain because all of these, the next four movies with the exclusion of um, I think Eternals are going to be dealing with uh, some sort of timeline, you know, Spider-Man, um, uh, uh, multiverse, uh, was it multiverse of madness, um, whatever next thing for Wanda is, and then Quantumania, we already know that it's confirmed. But I wonder the same way that it wasn't confirmed that uh, Jonathan Majors was going to be in Loki um, if he's not also not been announced in these other movies. And because they all deal with some extension of this aftermath, uh, if he's not going to be an antagonist in each of these. So you Sorry. didn't listen to the, the reveal. I did. But, yeah, no, thanks but, for calling out my theory, Marco. Yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> no. we did talk about that. Yeah, but but it was it was in the context of um the, of exactly what you're saying? No. No. I don't know. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, explain. Well, so then that and then um I think Eternals does may somewhat tie into this and why they've been released is because they need to be able to fight whatever they're, they're like now they're joining in because this involves not just the earth but any other m- possible multi uh multi-existence of the earth hmm. so my thought is that they have to be kind of cautious like i agree that uh we'll probably see kang quite a few times in the episode i said that uh you know kang is certainly going to be around for a few phases the same way that Thanos was and there were a lot of people who were saying oh um you know this is too early or um oh they killed him already or you know I don't like this version but we're gonna see him a lot my thing is uh you know Thanos was used pretty sparingly and I think that helped to keep a level of mystique about him and to not burn him out um, and I think with Kang, they have to actually be uh, almost more cautious because um, while you can do that, right, there's only so many times, like, for example, we just saw him die, right? If he dies again, another version of him in Quantumania, uh, and there's a fight involved this time, now we've seen him get physical. So, you know, we didn't see Thanos physically involve himself in any type of activity, until Infinity War. He didn't throw a single punch. And I think that was effective because everyone had this question in their mind of like, how dangerous is this guy? 
Uh, we got to be careful with how many questions we answer about Kang before it's Kang time. And I don't think it's Kang time until like phase, what are we in four? So like phase six. Probably. So yeah, yeah I don't know how, I don't think they should over, overexpose him. Yeah, the one thing that I, I remember we, we talked about was how like you could introduce that character and kill him a few times and like yeah. that that all is par for the course, you know? Um, but I definitely agree with what you're putting down, Sean, where I feel like the more times you do that, the less impactful it's going to be and the less exciting it's going to be unless you can like find creative ways to do that. Because I feel like I could see them showing us a couple different versions of Kang that are like all very different in the way that like, you know, you kind of um, laid out the theory of this one kind of being like a Mortis, right? And the old man, and he's kind of a good guy. Like we could meet a few versions of him that are maybe not actually like Kang as we know Kang and give us kind of like, or give general audiences anyway, a false sense of like who he is and what he's about. And then when we really meet, you know, the true Kang, that'll you know, deepen that understanding of that character a little bit. But that's like, that's a fine line. I think you got to dance to really make that work. Yeah. Speaking of which, oh, well, does that, does that answer your question, Marco? It does. I'm looking forward to the Council of Kings. <sighs> yeah, dude. There's so, many, there's so many places that they can go. I actually wanted to talk a little bit about Loki because uh, obviously the show has finished. Uh, for season one, season two is uh, confirmed. It'll be out whenever it's out. Listen to our review of that and we watch Loki, which is up now. Uh, give that a bump if you're curious what we thought about it beyond uh, the conversation just about Kang. Um, but uh, Kevin Wada, who you guys will probably know, he does a lot of uh, covers and things like that uh, for Marvel, DC, etc. Um, he said uh, on Twitter... I don't mind that MCU properties all seem to have to provide setup for future installments. I just hate that more often than not, it comes at the expense of telling a satisfying and complete story. This is something that I've seen floating around a ton. People criticizing the finale of Loki for not functioning as a finale to Loki, more as an introduction to a character who only is relevant if you know who he is and otherwise it's kind of like that scene from the matrix 2 at the end when he faces off with the uh with the uh i forget the character's name but the but the the old guy who looks like santa uh that they just have a conversation forever um i've seen that comparison made and um it's interesting because i think that it's there's two things involved so on one hand i i actually made that uh i I made that point on the review that the finale if it's just a finale of the show you just take it as that it's kind of a fail uh not fully not completely but in a way um because it only works if you understand the inner workings of the MCU and you're along for the whole ride, if Loki was your first at bat with, with Marvel shows, I just don't see how this even works for you. Maybe it does, but I don't see it. On the other hand, you can't necessarily judge Marvel products the same way that you would judge any other thing of that type. Like you can't say, Oh, Endgame 
doesn't work because it doesn't work on its own. Well, I mean, yeah, because it's not, you're not supposed to take it like that. Yeah. You know, like Loki's not, Loki is made to be a TV show, but it's not necessarily made to be a TV show you watch if you've never seen anything else to appeal to the broadest audience possible. It's made to be a TV show for people who like Loki and the wider MCU. So if you come in as that person, there's a lot more for you to get than if you come in dry. Yeah, and anecdotally. Like, oh, go ahead, Mark. Oh, sorry, a- anecdotally to that, um, I had an office party recently, and one of the topics of conversation was Loki because a few people like follow the the shows, um, but don't necessarily read the books. Mm-hmm. And on their end, you know, the reveal was um, at least for three of them who didn't read, and one person actually kind of like had some knowledge about the character. Um, they they went and did some research about it because they were interested enough to be able to say, uh, you know, what is what are these implications? Because at this point, they understand that whatever the MCU sort of puts down, there's something usually a bit larger than whatever's there at face value. So they they got really excited because they're now sort of inundated in the in the world of uh, discovery again for a lot of um, what's to come. Because they're not familiar with Kang, they don't know what it means, they don't know all this stuff, but they have to to, to learn about it, and and that's um, exciting for for them. And I thought that that was pretty interesting because um, I don't know that that's something that people do for TV shows or for well for TV shows depending on what it is, right? Like a mystery, sure, but like for like a larger property like the MCU, uh, I think that that's a pretty unique experience. Yeah, I mean. I think you know the the Marvel properties exist in this universe in the first place. You know, even even the Marvel cinematic cinematic universe is a branch of the Marvel universe, as it were. Right? Like, right. you know, all of this has bigger, higher reaching implications. Um, and I guess I don't know. I'm I'm of two minds of that initial criticism. Uh, from Kevin Wada, like to a certain extent, I agree. I would love to see, you know, just a standalone story that isn't used as a pawn to introduce the next step. However, that's what this is. You know, it's just, you know, that's the ride they're giving us. Yeah. It, uh, oh, I think, well, sorry. And, and I, similar to Sean, I like, I didn't, particularly care to uh, for the finale of loki but i i think the only reason it works is because it proceeds to a season two right yeah that's that's exactly what i was gonna say is that like i feel like i feel like th- this criticism gets lobbed at the mcu like it's a thing that's unique to the mcu you know like if you like watched i don't know like just to pull this out of my ass, right? Like, if you came in and watched, like, the last season of Game of Thrones and you had not seen the seven seasons that preceded it, you wouldn't know who anyone was or what was going on, right? Or, like, if you came in and watched the fourth season of Breaking Bad, you wouldn't know what was happening and you would be like, oh, well, the way this ends doesn't mean anything to me because it's leading... You know what I mean? Like, you can say that about any story that has more than a, you know, a... a a focused beginning, middle, and end in that way, and that's how it's intended to be told. Like, any story that has multiple entries, that's what you're doing. You're building on what comes next, you know? 
Um, and obviously not every story works that way, but to Kale's point, from the beginning of the MCU, that's what it's been about, right? Um, the end of Iron Man 1 was not the end of Iron Man's story. It was the end of the beginning of his story, you know? Um, and, it, like, I, I understand that criticism, like, and I don't think it's, like, wrong to um, to feel like you want more resolution um, for your characters out of these stories. I, that's fine. But, like, the fact that we're going to a season two is why that happened, you know? Um, I feel like it's less an issue of this needed to be in service of everything else that comes in the MCU as much as that, like, there's still places for this story to even go, you know? Um, all the threads from season one, none of them are tied up, you know? I think I I take issue with, with what you're putting down, Pete, because each, you know, especially in your, your examples of like Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones, those are stories themselves. Those are, you know, Game of Thrones is one big story. Sure. So you're right. If you come in the middle of it, yeah, you're going to miss, you know, the beginning. You're not going to know anything. But with marvel these these things are character driven mm -hmm. and each character driven thing mostly you know and i'm i'm probably 70 30 on this argument i think um mo you know mostly they tell standalone stories you know you you know, like, um, geez, what happened in uh, Black Panther? What was the special thing in Black Panther besides like Black Panther? The post credit scene, you mean? Or Yeah. I don't remember. Oh, it was, wasn't it that he was speaking? There was like a, a conference at the United Nations or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's when he, re he basically is going to reveal Wakanda to the world. Yeah. Okay, that's a terrible example then. <laughs> um, Ant Man, right? Um, he goes and he um, breaks into the Avengers compound and he fights the Falcon. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, the final credit scene that leads to civil war. And it's like, well, I mean, that's fine, but it, you know, it's that next step, you know, that all of this, I, I don't know. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like they're character driven, but they're character driven to get to the next thing. Yes. Yeah. So that's the thing. Right. And I think that first of all, to be honest, I, I, I'm not dismissing the criticism outright and I'm not even talking about you, but like, I, I, I feel it too, to a degree, mm -hmm. but also I think people judge the MCU in a weird way. Like yeah. for example, the show ended on a cliffhanger, right? Mm. That's not weird. Yeah. Like shows end on cliffhangers all the time. I think in my mind, the problem is that even if you take a show that has several seasons, typically the emotional core of that particular season, the driving narrative will resolve in that season. That doesn't mean it resolves the story. It doesn't mean it resolves every single thing. It just means that whatever was most important that particular season will resolve sure. generally. If the show introduces a new like main villain, that main problem or villain will probably be defeated or that difficult situation will be resolved. 
or it will resolve and then create a new problem that the protagonists have to deal with. Loki does do that, but it does it in a way that doesn't feel satisfying because it does that juxtaposed to introducing a character who has something to do with everything that came before, but was never shown or alluded to because no one knew who he was. Mm -hmm. So it's two things happening at the same time. And if you focus more on the Kang part, you're going to feel like the other part was lessened. And then, and I would argue it was lessened because Kang happened. But the fact of the matter is that if you take Loki, the finale as a television show finale, and you compare it to other season finales, it does similar things. And Loki does change. He does grow and change and evolve over the course of the season. So the emotional arc of it does shift. And that's yeah. the point. And so you could argue that there's resolution enough in the Loki Sylvia relationship, right? In that like what we thought was going to, or not necessarily what we thought was going to happen, but the whole thing was the, will they, won't they, like, are they in love, whatever, right? And, like, not to say that that story's totally ended, but I feel like there's some resolution at the end of this season in terms of now they're at odds. They're not on the same side anymore, and they're going to be, you know, now antagonists to one another. I don't, think it, I, don't, I don't think it resolved. I think it changed. I think yeah. it, it shifted, and, that, and now it's going in a different direction. Yeah. I wonder if this finale, this season finale especially when you compare it to other season finales. Now that we know it's a season finale, not a series finale. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it just wasn't very good. And I, as just a question, like as a, you know, when you compare it, um, you know, a lot of things resolve when you think about it, but it feels, especially through this conversation, it feels like it gets overshadowed by the Kang conversation. Like like maybe they were hanging their hat on that. I, okay. I think it gets I, I think it might get overshadowed if kind of to Sean's point, if that's where you sort of focus on it, where the the friends that I was talking to, like they, they thought it was it was satisfying because we, we got the answer, but the answer was another mystery. And that that is still somewhat satisfying from a storytelling yeah. perspective where oh we we knew enough to now not know uh, about what the next steps sort of are. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I definitely thought it, it worked because for me, like whether or not Kang had appeared, the mystery was enticing and they, they, they held me up until that last episode. And for the reveal to be, uh, for the reveal to be Kang, that made sense to me. It, you know, I, I could see where they could go from there. Um, but for anybody else who maybe didn't, that was a, a natural endpoint that introduced uh that that was introducing a cliffhanger that was introducing a season two and i don't think that now in in like even the a netflix binge era sort of um uh, media consumption cycle i don't think people are unopposed to setting up the next season for uh, a television show let alone uh something larger that like a movie that's not even new to this era though right like, yeah that's a yeah that's a television thing historically. Right. I also wanted to uh, make the point that um, it is possible, Kale, that the show just didn't end well. Like, 
Hmm. It doesn't have to be reflective of a problem with Marvel. And this is kind of what I was getting at. The people yeah. argue yeah. Diff- they, they treat Marvel differently in that sense. Like it doesn't have to be a fundamental problem with the way Marvel tells stories that the show didn't satisfy you in the end. It could just be that the show didn't end well for a variety of reasons. Uh, one thing that I thought was really interesting is that he who remains was always going to be the uh, the end point of the TVA, not necessarily Ken. That mm. in the comics, he mm. who remains is a different character, mm-hmm. not related to Kang, but is actually oh. the leader of the TVA or one of them. And that character was always going to be played by Jonathan Majors. It just so happens that when they saw his performance, they said, oh, we have our Kang. This is perfect. Oh, I didn't realize that was how that happened. Yeah, that's, that's what cool. I, that's what I read. Um, that's really that's cool. what uh, Kate Heron said, the 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 EP uh, and director of the show uh, and that they cast him for both roles at the same time. So when it was happening in real life, it actually was also happening behind the scenes. That's cool. Um, The reason that I bring that up now in relation is because I think that, and also I should add because it ties in, that this show wasn't always going to be two or multiple seasons. It was produced as a single season show in the mind of the person who created it, who is not coming back for a second season because she didn't know that there was going to be one and had already committed to other plans. Oh, Hmm. Oh, that's weird. Yes. So it's very strange that that's the case considering the fact that it ends the way it does. Right. What if yeah, he who remains wasn't K? You know, what if that's this was just this? Like it was that was it. There was no there was no like bigger story. What if there wasn't a season two? You know, there's so many question marks. What if the the creator knew there was going to be a season two and produced it that way to begin with? Yeah. There's so many questions up in the air. And I think if you're going to critique it from a Marvel standpoint, from the bigger you know, organization beyond just the show, that's the criticism. Mm-hmm. Know what you're doing before you do it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. But even then, Abrams. yeah, not all shows even know that they're going to have a second season until it happens. So it's so like Buffy didn't know, like Buffy right. ends in a, in a way that's like, this could just be over now. Well, but yeah. and like famously, like there's lots of shows that like they pivot and like they find the, they find the show after the first season, like breaking bad, bringing it back to that. Like apparently the Jesse character was supposed to die in the first season. He's the fucking other main character, you know, like yeah, that would, would be a totally different show. Mm. Um, We do have to move on, but, uh, I think I think that Marvel's finding their footing with these shows. It's not the same thing as the uh, Marvel television shows that we got on Netflix or anything like that. Uh, these shows have a responsibility to be more than just a television show. Mm-hmm. And just like the movies have a responsibility to be more than just a singular story within this movie, we've been doing this for you know over 10 years at this point like 
you're either on or you're not. I don't I don't know what else to say about it. Like it's not that it's beyond criticism, but you have to critique them, I think, within their own structure. They're not regular TV shows. And and you know, they're gonna be different. But we're gonna get into the comments. But before we do that, I have we have a pretty cool announcement that we want to share with you guys. Uh so as you guys know, uh, Tyler Olson is somebody who's come on the show with us several times, um, whether it was when he was a part of the long box with Matt Murphy or, you know, once that kind of ended and he started to come on with us as a as a guest, um, you know, uh, fair, you know, semi regularly. He's popped on and done done some stuff with us. Well, we're going to be working with him on a more regular basis now. Um, and what that means is that. You might hear his voice here a little bit more often, uh, whether it's here or whether it's on the review show, which actually our our reviews are going to be shifting to not releasing during the weekend, but actually releasing on Thursdays. Uh, And when I say that, I mean the Marvel, DC, Boom stuff, the image stuff that we don't get in advance. That stuff will be releasing Thursdays. We're going to have Tyler with us on our Wednesday reviews when we record those. Um, But the biggest part of this announcement is that we're actually going to be doing a new game that Tyler has brought to the table uh, called Journey into Quistery. I love that name. Uh, Wait till you see the logo, folks. It's so Yeah, the logo is awesome. Uh, Check it out on our social media. You'll be able to uh, see that when we we post that up. Um, But we're going to be doing a live stream to play the game. It's going to be a live stream game. We don't know the cadence of how often we will run it, but we do know that we will be running it for the first time on Sunday, the 25th at 1 p.m. Eastern. So set your watches and set your computers to twitch.tv slash the comics pals and come hang out with us as we uh, play this game. It's going to be a blast. I think you're going to enjoy it. We've already kind of seen a test run and it's a lot of fun. Um, and we want to stream more. So having this as a part of our repertoire is going to be cool and a uh, huge shout out to Tyler for all the work that he's put in, into this. So um, yeah, definitely tune in Wednesday or Sunday, rather 1 PM Eastern Sunday, the 25th come hang out with us and journey into Quistery with the comic spouse. I can't wait. It's going to be a yeah. blast. Yeah. We got the cutest, uh, the, the the cutest comics critic alive. Okay, there we go. Hmm. That's a lot better than my uh, my initial title pitch, which was uh, "Riddle Me Piss." <laughs> Did you say "Riddle Me Piss"? Did you should I say it? Riddle. Oh, hang on. Riddle me piss. I hate you. <laughs> I'm I want to flush that idea down the jams. Let's ah. let's. Hmm. Let's not that, even do that all that. That makes me think of something. Ba, 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 ba. Don't think. It's ba, always ba, bad when you think. Where's that music coming from? Dead, get into the listener comments. 
All right, this first one comes from Stephen Beveridge over on our Spawn Universe <laughs> number one review. Um, Refreshing. I lo- yeah, I loved Spawn when it came out. My wife got me the compendium, and I wanted to get back into it. I saw this and got uh, got it, figuring it'd be a good point to jump back in. Started reading it, and I felt so lost. I went back to the shop and got the last three trades, plus almost every issue from two ninety nine to three nineteen. So from issue two seventy ish on, just to catch up. Maybe I didn't need to. But it worked. The comic shop and Todd have my money, and I got a ton of Spawn to read. <laughs> nice. I love that. Wow. And 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 I want to say, like, what this what this person just put down, what, what my man Steve Beveridge just put down, is what I think is so weird about the way that people criticize comics. So he went to the store, right? Or he, he, he received uh, the compendium. He wanted to get back into Spawn. So he's like, okay, Spawn Universe number one. Yeah, cool. Okay, fine. Number one, I'll just jump on. He's confused. He doesn't know what the hell he's, what the hell's going on. So he has two choices. Well, he has three choices. He can go on Twitter, bitch about it, and <laughs> not get on board. He cannot go on Twitter and not get on board or he can get on board and he wanted to respawn so he got on board he said you know what i'm gonna buy it i'm gonna go back i'm gonna buy what i've missed or a little bit of what i missed to catch up and i'm gonna read and did he need to do that absolutely not did i do that no did i buy the next issue of spawn after spawn universe yes i did because it's just comics people take this shit too seriously sometimes like if you want to jump on jump on you don't need to read spider-man number one from 1960 whatever just read it now who cares you know like like, whatever go on wikipedia or don't i don't know (laughs) it's not that serious go ahead kill when you're jumping into a pool you're not jumping into a raindrop baby you're jumping into a whole pool right Right the way you 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 forgot the fourth way to be able to um, uh, process Spawn Universe. You could also jump onto a podcast um, and start talking about uh, about it. Getting with no knowledge, with zero with knowledge, the, no context. <laughs> That's <laughs> That's the thing. I don't even know that you even needed context. That issue was like like it's just like it's just Spawn. I yeah. don't know. I I I don't know. I, I, I don't well, know. I mean, there was something to get wrong there, and. I got it. it. I got every part of it wrong. <laughs> so. I got every single thing wrong that I could. Thanks for the comment, Steve Beveridge. I love your name, Steve Beveridge. Thanks for writing love it. Please write in more. <laughs> so so refreshing uh, to get a comment from Steve Beveridge. Uh, okay, so <laughs> this next one comes from Dope underscore Comics with an X on our Geiger number four review. Said Dope. <laughs> They wrote in and said, man, this series just blows my mind. The story, the art, it's so good. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Dope is a regular commenter uh, and uh, clearly has been enjoying Geiger. I was back on the hook with this issue. I know Kale wasn't. um, But uh, yeah, I'm still enjoying it. I mean, people don't seem to be checking for it as much as they were. In terms of, you know, just anecdotally our numbers as it relates to uh, the Geiger stuff, but um, I still enjoy it. And I think clearly still enough people enjoy it um, that it's worth talking about. And uh, I'm still interested in seeing what what Gary and Jeff and uh, Brad have to say with this story. I'm just glad y'all are having fun. 
Yeah, I mean, it's one of those books, I think, even if you're not, like, super in on the story, like, it's a Gary Frank book. It looks fucking great. Like, there's something to enjoy in it no matter what, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, this next one uh, came from Chandasuk. Chandasuk? I'm not totally sure how to say that. I'm going to say Chandasuk. Um, sorry if that's not it. You can write in and tell me how to say it for real. Um, this is on last week's comics reviews. Um, they said, I wish I had pals like you guys. I also got Skybound number one with Clementine on the cover, you know, Ooh. so I can hold on to it and put my kids through college. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Hell the yeah. speculator market, that's where it's at. <laughs> Yeah, you would yeah. say that. Well, you know what? Actually, uh, that cover, Tilly Walden. Tilly Walden's continuing to blow up, so maybe not. I mean, that's probably a, but maybe a good not investment. that one to own. Yeah, five bucks to fifty bucks. I did. Um, I I believe I replied to this comment on YouTube and and said this to you there, Sean Desuk. But uh, come join the Discord. Come make some pals like us. We're come talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I mean, you can literally have pals like us. We're not. Um, you know, we're not uh, celebrities or anything. We're just people who podcast, and you can chat with us whenever you feel like it on our Discord server. Uh, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. You're, yeah, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Exit the barrel, please. How do you think we're hiring Tyler? <laughs> All right, so uh, speaking, speaking of, of. <laughs> this next one comes from Tyler Olson on episode 246, and Tyler wrote in and said, so... Best of New 52 Book Club when? Oh, we're talking about it. We're talking about it. Yeah. Conversation. Uh, soon, TM, that Tyler will understand that joke. And also, uh, you have to right. be a part of that. Yeah. So. Going to read 52 books across the line. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be, well, you know what? Uh, look forward to it in a couple months because we got some reading to do. <laughs> okay. So. This next comment is nuts, and uh, I, I I actually want to read this one. Um, Go for and it. I want to say that you know, first of all, this person is going to say some things that you know might offend you, uh, and you know, if you don't want to be offended on your on your morning or your commute or whatever, skip ahead a little bit. It's not that crazy, but you know. It's, you know, it could be a little bit offensive. Um, and it is a comment based on the conversation we had last week about whether or not Marvel can appease uh, everyone who was calling for more diversity and repre representation within their uh, universe. So this comes from Hydro Thunder. And they said, hey, man, I'm so tired of this representation bolt crap. I can care less, and I don't want to see it as a viewer. For the last three decades, they demonized man-woman relationships on TV. Lots of blame can be put on over on the over-sexual stuff within TV history, but Marvel movies never had any real intent. Basically, if they pander to one group and not the others, is going to be an issue at the end of the day that crap needs to be left in the bedroom. Same with straight characters. Let's craft good stories, man. Here's a perfect example. Asian dude from Jurassic Park. Dude is a homo, but dude is an awesome actor and he don't flaunt it around in movies. Well, the ones I've seen anyways, implication can be done without overdoing it. But at the end of the day, we need to focus on stories and better writing because this crap can make or break future comic movies for the future. If they pander to get the woke crowd, as they say, get woke, go broke. All right. So there's another aspect of the comment. Um, but I want to stay there because he, he shifts gears a little bit. 
First Amen. of all. Amen. I'm so tired of this representation bullcrap. I love this comment. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. I'm so tired of this relationship. Hey, man. Representation <laughs> bullcrap. <laughs> I'm going to go around and say that all the time. That's my new line. Hey, man. It's your opening line at, at a bar. It's just like you walk in and bartender's like, what is it? What do you want? Like, hey, man. I just. Hey, man. Uh, representation <laughs> and shit. He's like, uh, so whiskey? Like, I don't. <laughs> Um, yeah, I love it. That's that's really funny. Um, okay, that's cool. I'm gonna read the rest and then I'm gonna comment because I have things to say. Uh, but also to comment on the religious aspect. Pause. No one, I don't think, in the episode talked about religion. I don't think feel I like religion came up. Feel like it came up at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was on his soapbox. America is mainly Christian, and the normal human experience is man and woman. So why force it on the general public? End of the day, this conversation really be taken down a real good conversation. I'm going to hold my tongue about my real thoughts about gays, man. Again, let's get back to making good movies, man. I can care less about it. Sounds like you can really care less about it. You wrote us a fucking novel. <laughs> I mean, clearly he can care less. He clearly he cares. could care less. Yes. He, yeah, he could. <laughs> I think uh hydro what you meant to say is that you could not <laughs> care any less but if you did say that it would still not be true because if you couldn't care less then you wouldn't have wrote it you wouldn't have written in to say that you couldn't care less um you wouldn't you wouldn't care enough to write in at that point right clearly you care um and so what i have to say is that uh people don't actually have to conceal their sexuality to please you hydro thunder so uh asian dude from jurassic park that you're referring to if i don't even know that that person's gay i don't i don't know that to be true but let's say that they are for example anyone whoever doesn't matter um their sexuality is their own and if that offends you that's your problem not their problem and you have to get over that. You have to deal with that and wrestle with whatever the reason is that that bothers you. Um, for you to say that the normal human experience is man and woman, I mean, normal to who, right? Normal is a subjective thing. It's clearly not normal to someone who's not in a, in a, a, a same-sex relationship or whatever relationship they're in that doesn't reflect what you say is normal. Who are you to say what's normal? You don't determine that. Um, that's ridiculous, right? And uh, also, I think that we are seeing good movies. They're making good movies. Those good movies, though, just happen to also be, well, hopefully they will continue to be reflective of the world outside our window, just like Marvel Comics. The same comics, by the way, that these movies are, are, are a reflection of. These movies are taking from the comics to tell their stories. And in the comics, these characters are more than just, you know, normal straight white people right like there was a time when people said that normal was uh white people you know and then i came around and then i was like wait i'm not white am i normal uh no i'm not normal and that's cool you know um i'm cool with that i'm cool with not being white because there's a lot of people that look like me too um and if you were around i don't know how old you are but if you were around in i don't know the 30s or the 20s or the 10s or the 1800s you might have made that argument about black people right and 
there will be a version of you that exists 40 years from now that's going to say the same things about whatever the new thing is or whatever the thing that that you know comes out above the oppression that we've been suppressing forever that says no i need a voice too there will be a version of you or maybe it will be you that will say oh that's not normal you know um you don't determine what normal is that's not who you are who you are is the guy who writes in and cries because not everything goes your way right you're the guy who listens to a podcast and says, I need to get my phone and I need to type in a comment so that they know how I feel about representation. And it's not cool to be that guy. You know, there's a way to have a conversation. I'm all for the conversation. Like I've been clear on this show that, you know, I want to have to talk, but it's not cool to be a bigot. It's not cool to, hate people for their sexual orientation. And if that's who you are, this space, it ain't for you, right? This space is for people who want to have the dialogue, but are also fully accepting of wherever someone comes to the table from, as long as they're not hateful. That's the difference. So I appreciate your subscription, Hydro Thunder, but I wouldn't be offended if you rescinded that because you are getting shit on right now and we are making fun of you because you're behind you're on the wrong side of history the world has moved past you and that should not feel good so if i were you i would stop writing in to podcasts or you know people's twitter pages the kind of person who sends negative comments to people because they're gay or whatever and i would reflect on the fact that while you are worried about the characters on screen that aren't even real offending you because they might be gay or might be something other than what you are, I would think about the fact that while you're doing that, there are actual living, breathing human beings who die every day or who are abused or bullied or lose opportunities, can't earn money because of the color of their skin or their sexual orientation. And I would reflect on which of those is a bigger problem. And if you still come away thinking that what you think matters, well, I don't know, there are bridges, you know, there are lots of ways for you to solve the problem. <laughs> um, my, my dude needs to stay in his bedroom and think about what he's done. And that's the bottom line, folks. <laughs> I don't I don't have anything to add. Cool. I don't fuck this guy. Yep. I mean, you put it very eloquently, but um I'm not gonna. And how dare you bring my religion into it? Like my God don't talk that way. Sorry. The Bible says very clearly to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And um you know uh, as you say, America is mainly Christian. If that's true, then maybe Christian don't mean the what I think it does. You need to really think about what it means to be a Christian if that's what you're saying. I'm getting that read based on your comment, but uh, fuck right off with that. Please unsubscribe and get the hell out of here. Now that we've taken care of that piece of business. Peace. <laughs>
Let's move on to the Palace polls. Uh, Marco shows many deaths of Lila Star number four. You know it, Felipe Andrade, Ram V. This is the vibe. This is the book. Pick it up. Come yeah, talk baby. to me about it. If you don't pick it up and you don't come talk to me about it, I'm not going to be mad. I'm going to be upset you didn't pick it up. I'm not going to be upset you don't talk to me about it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and then you also chose Marjorie Finnegan, Temporal Criminal number three. Great title. Yeah, this is a silly book. Uh, it's an upshot book. Um, I've been picking up some of their stuff recently. They've gotten like a, a slew of pretty good creators just kind of on on different things. Uh, it's Garth Ennis, Goran Suzuka, who famously did um, parts of Why the Last Man um, and other assorted uh, Marvel stories. It's about Marjorie Finnegan, as you can imagine, being a crime in time, going around, stealing shit, and going back into whatever multiverse multi-time situation she's in uh and for every every crime that she commits uh wackiness ensues it's been a really fun book uh garth i think is doing a, a good job of being really cheeky with uh, his jokes gordon's art goran's art is phenomenal so definitely go check go, definitely go check this book out i think it's well worth your time marco have you seen the cover for issue four I haven't. No, it's it is her. It? It's her getting a mugshot with the long side of Velociraptor. Hell yeah! <laughs> Wait, what? The, the the Raptor has a front hot shot and a sideways shot. It's really funny. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, I'm excited. Yeah, th- this book has been a lot of fun. Really goofy. Pete shows Radiant Black number six. Yeah, uh, I've kind of been the the, the token uh, Radiant Black defender. I feel like on this show. Um, and I, I think we all felt like five kind of picked up and, and was getting us moving in a direction that we were interested in. Um, I'm excited to see, you know, um, kind of the different radiance that we've met now, like come together, you know, ideally form some kind of a team and, you know, like start, um, moving towards, you know, what the, what the bulk of the story is actually going to be about, you know, um, mm. after five issues, it feels like we're. We're getting somewhere, so I'm I'm pretty excited to see what six has to offer. I chose Superman and the Authority number one. Of course, this is uh, Grant Morrison's swan song with DC for the time being. They are going to be moving on to doing more um, like adaptations of books, and I presume more. more film and television stuff, which appears to be where Grant is really feeling invigorated. Um, I haven't seen Mikkel Janin interiors in a while. So I think this is a great, uh, a great combination. These two, these two together. I'm really excited uh, for this book, especially reading what Grant has had to say about, about it and what they want and um, what they want out of it. So um, I'm excited. Uh, I know Phil is too. So if he were here, this would this would certainly be on his list as well. Um, and then Pete and I both chose Time Before Time number three. Yeah, uh, we were a little cooler on issue two, I think, as a group. Um, issue one, I, th- I thought was a really, really strong introduction to the world and the concept. Two kind of slows things down a little bit. Um, and we're starting to get to know the characters a little bit more. Um, but I, I, I think like time travel stories are really... Um, hit or miss it's super easy for them to feel like bloated and convoluted and um from the jump i've been really interested in the way that this book presents time 
Um, and you know, Declan, when he was on the show, um, go check out that interview. It was a great one. I'm sure Marco will have the episode number for you in a minute. Um, he had mentioned that they kind of were using time as like geography, and I, I've I found that concept to be really interesting, and it's one I'm I'm really eager to see this creative team continue to explore. So we're we uh, we're actually going to have our review out for this and Radiant Black Six uh, on Wednesday, so definitely check those out. I already read uh, Time Before Time three, and um, it's real good. So nice. And if you want to hear that interview, episode two thirty six. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Um. All right. So. Unfortunately, we have to start the news block of the show with some really awful news. Um, comic creator uh, Robson Rocha, Ro- Roca? Ro- Rocha, I'm sorry, um, has, has passed. Uh, Robson died on Sunday um, at, uh, due to complications. Uh, from COVID, um, he was 41 years old and yeah, very, so very young and very much a person who was on the rise as a creator. Um, you know, his work was incredible and a lot of people, both, uh, comic creators and fans have spent time the past week to, to share his work on social media. And I think um, a lot of people were learning how talented he, he, he is, he was uh, through these, through these tweets, through these Instagram posts and and things like that. Um, You know, because he was still working his way through the ranks. I I mean, his Aquaman stuff, um, which is what he was on most recently uh, has been absolutely incredible. And um, he also had some some Batman Superman stuff that he did. Uh, he worked on uh, Green Lantern. Uh, just just, you know, anyone who dies young, it always is terrible because that's the end of I always think when someone dies, it's the end of the world. Um, because for them, that is the case. And it's also in a way us losing out on something because we don't know where any person is going to take their life. You know, how, like what, what they'll be able to accomplish beyond what they have so far. And, you know, not everybody has amazing creative talents, but here's a person who did. And here's a person who was very giving of himself uh, with those talents And, you know, we don't know at 41 years old where this person was going to go in 5, 10, 15 years as a creative person, but also just in their life, you know, and um, it's it's horribly sad. COVID is is real. It's a thing. It's a very dangerous thing Um, for those of you who, for whatever reason, might not be taking it that seriously. Here is clear evidence of a person who was in good health, um, who was young, who was able bodied, who was not here anymore because of COVID. I'm not trying to insinuate that they didn't take it seriously, by the way. I'm just saying that it could happen to any of us. Exactly. That's the thing is even if you take it seriously, you could get sick. Even if you're vaccinated, you could get sick. Like just be safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, you know, like do, do what you got to do. 
Um, yeah. It's, it's sad when you lose anybody, but yeah, especially somebody so young and with somebody with so much to offer um, left ahead of them. It's, it's a tragedy. You know, there's no other way to, to put it. It's a tragedy. Um, and, you know, the, the more that we can do to limit that is, is a good thing, you know? Yeah. And it's worth noting that he is leaving behind. <clears throat> he is leaving behind a family. Uh, he was a, a father and Damn. a husband. So, yeah. you know, again, uh, that's, you know, that's awfully sad. And uh, I really hope that people take stock of their lives. You know, whenever I hear stuff like this, I'm always like, man, you know, I really value living. Uh, so try to, you know, try to consider that today as you hear this. And, uh, you know, if you, if you see any, any of his art, you know, buy a book, hopefully, hopefully DC will do the right thing and, you know, put money, uh, in, in his family's pockets because they will have a hard time now that they've lost, you know, one of the two presumably breadwinners of the home. So I know, um, something to keep an eye out on to, uh, Kelly Sue, who obviously was a collaborator of his on, on Aquaman, um, tweeted a bit about about his loss, and she was saying how she's trying to figure out a way to support, you know, um, his family and, and stuff like that. So I would keep an eye out. I'm sure that there will be um, some movement there in the, the next yeah. couple of weeks to be able to help provide assistance to, to his loved ones, which I think, uh, if you are a fan of his work, is the best way that you can pay honor to that, um, is to support his family through this hard time. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, so uh, we have to shake that off and talk about some things that are a little bit more frivolous. Uh, obviously, Black Widow came out last week and, uh, you know, it did pretty well. There was a lot of conversation about this movie uh, for the last couple of years as we've been anticipating it. Uh, what kind of numbers would a movie for the Marvel's first, you know, Marvel's first woman um, she's unfortunately not the first woman to get a movie from Marvel, but she, you know, Black Widow's the OG woman superhero in the films. So um, how would this movie do based on that fact? How would it do based on COVID? How would it do based on the fact that movie feels really late? Um, and as it turns out, it did really well. Um, it appears that it made $218 million over the very first weekend that it was in uh, that it was released. Um, 80 million of that is from the box office here domestically. Uh, 78 is from, you know, the rest of the world. And then uh, over 60 million on Disney Plus. So people who paid the, the 30 bucks or whatever it is to uh, rent the movie, uh, rent access to it over there, contributed to $60 million. So this is actually the most money that a movie has made domestically since the pandemic and actually since uh, uh, the rise of Skywalker. So we have to go all the way back to 2019 to see a movie that did these kinds of numbers. Disney is suggesting that this is the third highest grossing Marvel Cinematic Universe origin story ever, which presumably that means uh black panther and captain marvel are the ones that are ahead of it i wonder how this considers um spider-man yeah that's what i was gonna say my thought is that they might not consider that one just because of the relationship with sony 
Um, yeah. It's not really an origin anyway, either. Like, it's the first movie about Black him. Panther. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was thinking like Iron Man and Thor or Doctor Captain Strange. America. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I guess that's yeah. true. Do you count Black Panther as an origin? It's not really his origins. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. But either way, the movie's doing pretty well. And I wanted to ask you guys uh, if if these numbers mean anything to you about anything at all, about people's interest in Marvel movies, about people's willingness to go back to theaters or their lack of willingness to go back. What does it say? Yeah, I was impressed by that 60 million. Same. Um, well, it's the, only four people. <laughs> <laughs> and the, um, the, the fact that it's on the lower end of being a third of the total box office is really interesting because, um, you know, to whatever degree, it's also international. Um, and then we consider international markets. Um, I thought that that was a, a number that is significant and um, telling that people aren't quite there yet to go back to experience uh, something in a the movie theater, but are willing to put out for content. And I think that that's important as Disney Plus continues to put out shows as they continue to put out movies through this um, I don't know if they're going to keep doing it. And that's obviously a conversation that they have to be having. But if this is indicative of anything, it's indicative that uh, those people, me being one of them, would rather experience these these films at home. Yeah, surely they will, at least in the immediate future. I think so. Yeah, I, I think it, at least in the short term, um, yeah. Yeah. you're going to see this continue because – you know, you can't argue that the you know the theater first model is 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 more lucrative for them, right? They want to be able to charge you twice um, to watch it in the theater and then to see it again when at home, right? Um, or if you missed it. But looking at this and seeing that this is you know the first movie to really achieve, I think what was expected of it um, post pandemic or if you want to even call it that, I mean, like we're still kind of in the middle of it, depending on who you ask that. I think that's significant. Um, because a lot of the other movies that have come out in the interim, right? Like have not necessarily seen that same return, have not necessarily, um, even gotten the opportunity to like compete in the way they're supposed to, you know, like I think of like, um, that movie, like the Mitchells versus the machine or machines or whatever. That was like the next movie from the spider verse, uh, Lego movie guys. And like Netflix bought that because they didn't want to put it out in theaters and have it not make any money back. So it's like, this feels like the first movie that's really, you know, quote unquote back. Um, and to see that the numbers are, are at least, you know, comparable, um, to what they used to be, even if it is under a hybrid model, I'm sure is something that, you know, um, is is a really really good signifier to to movie makers. You know, I'm sure they're really pleased to see that. Are theaters as stoked about this? Probably not. You know, I think it still remains to be seen what this whole era means for movie theaters in the long term. You know, um, if it wasn't for that whole, you know, like AMC meme stock thing, like AMC could have gone under, you know, like that, that wasn't outside the realm of possibility or getting bought out, whatever. Right. So it's like, it's, it's really hard to say right now what, if anything, this means about the future. But I think it does show that people, at least on some level are eager to get back to theaters. And if they're not, they're eager to watch movies. They want at home. 
Um, and I think that that hybrid model, if they can figure out a way where it doesn't completely, you know, gut theaters, I would be surprised if the Disney's and Warner Brothers of the world um, want to go back. Because if they can, you know, get all the folks who want to go and have that movie theater experience um, to go to the movies, and then all the folks who can't do that or don't want to or can't afford it or whatever um, to watch at home, it'll mean a bigger opening weekend for them. And that's what they want. Uh, I I think these numbers are great. I really love to see that so many people went to see it, um, you know, it's impossible to have this conversation without also acknowledging that there are still places that don't have theaters available, Mm -hmm. whether because they're not open yet or because they actually lost their theater during the pandemic. And so they don't have theaters right now. Um, There are also tons of people who aren't comfortable going back to theaters yet for very legitimate reasons. So um, imagine staffing has got to be an issue too, right? Yeah. No, true. so there's all these different things up in the air and the fact that people went out to the tune of 80 million domestically that's fantastic um i think that the premiere access thing that disney plus is doing um and what hbl has been doing um i don't think that those are sustainable models because it is about more than just the money uh let's recall that when uh HBO Max, you know, did what they did and released Wonder Woman on on the platform and other other films. And, you know, we're getting all their movies um, day and date on HBO Max for the rest of the year. Uh, That caused a massive, massive backlash within the creative community um, in film. And, you know, notably, the director of Dune was very mad. um, Yeah about that um there were a lot of people there was a rumor that patty jenkins and gal gadot were paid off to say kind things about the release um and patty jenkins has said that she wasn't you know totally pleased with that the fact that that went down that way so yeah i think you know in order to keep creators happy um you know this isn't good and i think Mm -hmm. that you know your your theater partners need to be appeased but um, I don't think now is necessarily the, t- the time to stop doing that. And I think that Marvel and Disney made an extremely smart decision to hold Black Widow off until the time was right. Um, and clearly that's paying off for them. So what do you think the like, what do you think the length is on this? Like, how long do you think we see this last, John? I can't imagine that this will last for for deep for Disney uh through 2022 like i think it i think it will persist through this year yeah and then i think probably uh maybe mid-year 2022 maybe even before that this is no longer uh happening yeah my my overall assumption for just about everything covid is all right it's been two years now let's you know make the world go back to normal Mm -hmm. and that'll be in 2022 Mm mm-hmm that would be frustrating. It's going to be interesting to see because, like, um, I don't know. Like, I wonder if if the the powers that be can force, you know, as you put it, Kale, like things to go back to normal. Like, if Disney just says, like, okay, Black Widow's only, and not Black Widow, right? That already came out, but say Eternals. whatever its equivalent is. Yeah, sure, is only in theaters, and people like aren't ready to go back, or like are used to watching at home, and are like, ah, eh, fuck it, I'll wait, like. 
I don't know. Like, it'll be interesting to see, like, how, like, does the market snap back? Or have people's, like, attitudes and the way that they want to consume things changed at all in the last two years or any of that stuff? It's going to be interesting to see. Because I really don't know, you know? Uh, I mean, I think the way, like, the labor market has moved and Miranda recently started a new job in, like, recruiting, like, a lot of, if not all, but um, most agencies right now um and this is obviously specific to digital jobs where you're able to like be a uh, remote um they're offering a hybrid policy like moving forward like that is just the policy moving forward from now on you can come in if you want we make the spaces available um and if not then you're more than welcome to take x number of days or you can just the role might just be remote um and i wonder if that's not a reflection of the way people have gotten accustomed they're, they've made their routines now along alongside being able to wake up at 8.30 and sign on at 9 or something. Um, and if, if if that's the case, then I think that that's going to still be reflected in, um, in things outside of just the workplace. Because if you're not in the city, let's say, at work, and then you might not catch the movie that night, you'll probably just watch it at home or something, if that continues. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I definitely hope that they don't uh, remove it because for me, it's the preferred way to watch a film. Yeah, we'll see. My, one one last point that I was interested in was I feel like international markets usually come in a bit higher depending on depending on the movie. So I wonder if uh, this is also indicative of the the Asian market, the European market and different restrictions, if they might be planning films or the release of films a little bit differently, knowing that the international markets react uh, maybe not as uh, not as strongly with with their wallet for this movie. Well, there were certain places where it just it wasn't out, it wasn't accessible. Like I don't think China was. Uh, I don't think it, I don't think I don't think it played in China. Um, I could be wrong, but for some reason I feel like I read that. Uh, and then you know, just in general, other countries have you know, different situations right now with COVID, like you said. So I think, I don't think that, um, I don't know what Marvel's thinking about it, but I'd be surprised if they were reading too deeply into that fact, just because we are in a pandemic. Um, so yeah. It looks like they did not. Yeah. And that's obviously a huge market. So yeah. yeah especially, they love Scarlett Johansson, right? I was going to say, especially for a movie starring mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson, she's a fucking right. movie star overseas. Yeah. 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 So let's move on and let's talk about, uh, let's answer the question. What if Batman was real? Yes. Oh, that's not that kind of question. Sorry. Well, clearly you didn't understand the question, uh, but we are going to get that question answered for us in the form of a new black label mini series. That's actually coming from, Matt Tomlin. Now, if that name is familiar to you, it's because Matt Tomlin is writing or has written, I guess, uh, the Batman film, the upcoming oh. Batman film by Matt Reeves. This this man is the writer of that film. So uh, he is teaming up with Andrea Sorrentino to tell a story that DC says uh, is going to be a story about Batman in his earlier days where um, he's he's new to the job and 
still building his relationships with the, the Gotham City Police Department and blah, blah, blah. It's a very early days story. Um, and it examines Batman as kind of like a like a real person, I guess. Um, this is what Tomlin said. As a lifelong Batman fan, putting my spin on Gotham City has been a dream come true. Taking the question of what if Batman was real as far as narratively possible conjured incredible potential that hasn't recently been explored in the comics. Batman, the imposter, treats Bruce Wayne and the people around him as tragically flawed and vividly real with with the obstacles Batman faces coming from a reality that closely mirrors our own. Uh, So first of all, the artwork, pretty good. Uh, Sorrentino is definitely talented, and uh, I'm a fan. That being said, the question, is Batman real? That's not novel, I wouldn't say. No. And I feel like there has been a recent book about that, hasn't there? Didn't, um, was it Kurt, Kurt Busiek did a... Um, a series where the conceit was Batman is a real person. Um, it's not ringing any bells for me. I'll look it up. I'm sure he did. But uh, what's this going to be about? Bruce Wayne uh, has to pay his student loans. So what it's about is uh, Batman. While Batman is trying to build his legacy in Gotham, a new Batman comes onto the scene who is more violent and willing to kill. Uh, and so it creates a problem for Batman because police don't know which one is which, basically. Uh, it For some reason, it just feels like Batman Year One to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this is kind of what Nolan was doing with the movies. Batman Begins is, is like it treats Batman as real as you can without him just dying in two seconds because that's what would really happen. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's like. I'm not super um, drawn in by that elevator pitch specifically, but like <clears throat> I, I definitely am not inherently opposed to the idea on its face. Like I, I, I definitely feel like um, I don't know. There's room for I think for more stories about Batman earlier in his career um, when he's a little bit newer and fresher and not, you know. Um, the character with the mythos that so many build up around him, right? Where he can do anything as long as he has enough time and like, you know, that he's basically a God, right? Like there's, there's a lot of fun Batman stories to tell that way. I think that, you know, the him being like a young untested rookie is something that like we've seen done really well before, right? Obviously you bring up your one. Um, but I, I feel like there's more opportunity for that to be, to be explored and be interesting. Um, so I don't know, like, I think this is the kind of book that, like, while the announcement of it doesn't necessarily get me excited, if it comes out and there's some positive buzz, if we read the first issue and it, it feels like it's got a good tone, um, it's a book I could see myself being interested in. Yeah, yeah, I'm very much in line with that. Like, uh, to quote Phil, it could be good. And if it is, then I'll pick it up. Um, but if not, this isn't something that I'm uh, I'm hungry for necessarily. Yeah, yeah, same. I think the summary you just gave is a lot more interesting than whatever headline they're going with. You know, Batman in his early years has to contend with someone who looks like him and he has to differentiate himself for the police. Or and whatever. he doesn't even really know who he is yet. Like, right. That's cool. 
that's a better pitch than what if Batman was real? Yeah. That I think that's what's really bothering me here. Yeah, I'm not I'm not and and have never really been a fan of the what if superheroes were real thing because they're not real. I like grounded superhero stories, you know, uh, or superhero stories that show the superheroes from the perspective of people who feel real. But I don't need you don't need to convince me that Batman could be real. I know he can't. Um, And that's fine. And that's part of the point. That's why I like it. Real life. You want to be immersed into you know, these worlds and these characters that are not real. So, but in any event, if you are interested in the Batman movie, getting to read this story will give you kind of an idea of where uh, Matt's mind is as far as the Batman character is concerned. Um, and that might reflect in the movie. So I'm excited for it for that reason. And the art looks pretty good. So yeah, shout out to Jordy Belair on colors. Yes. Thank you. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Um, Jordy Belair on colors. Jordy's everywhere. Right. Always has, has been for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, quickly, <laughs> quickly. The, uh, the book I was thinking of was Batman creature of the night. Uh, Bruce Wainwright, a comic book reading kid loses his parents in a violent crime. And there are no superheroes that exist to save the day. So he becomes, uh, something similar to the comics he's been reading his whole life. As life begins to imitate art, will Bruce Wainwright be able to live up to his fictional namesake? Oof. Uh, That's a way worse elevator pitch, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mark Millar and Netflix, of course, have uh, teamed up. Uh, Netflix purchased Mark Millar's Millar World imprint uh, some years ago. And we got, you know, uh, some stuff from that, uh, from that relationship. We got the Jupiter's legacy TV show, which was recently canceled. Um, but we now know what one of their upcoming projects will be. Uh, And it's called King of spies. Now, uh, this is going to be released as a graphic novel, uh, first, I know, please, please. I, <laughs> the way you said that made it sound like it was italicized or in quotes or something. No, I just Some don't. Cop- I'm just not a fan of the term. Some right. copywriter didn't quite understand. It'll be released as a, uh, a graphic novel. <laughs> there wasn't as much questioning in the way I said it, but yeah. Um, <laughs> So it's going to be released as a graphic novel. We don't even know who the artist is. They have not announced the artist. Uh, But the series is described as this. In King of Spies, Britain's greatest secret agent faces his deadliest enemy yet, his own mortality. Diagnosed with a brain tumor and six months to live, the retired Sir Roland King looks around at the world he saved so many times and feels he can't leave us in such a mess. There's greed and corruption at every level, untouchable despots, he was forbidden to go near and a system he just doesn't believe in anymore. He wants to use his remaining time to make a difference with his particular set of skills and repair the damage he did in his private life at the same time. The most dangerous man in the world has gone rogue and he knows where all the bodies are buried. Now it's time to go after the real monsters. Okay. Uh, So we got a couple of uh, art pieces. I'm not sure if they're supposed to be covers or just 
you know, cool pieces of art design that were done to promote it. Um, but one was done by Oscar Yildirim, uh, who did some Loki stuff. I've seen that name floating around. Um, and the second one by Mark Chiarello, uh, who's worked on Wolverine. Um, I think the art's great, not that it's going to be in the book, uh, so we can't even, you know, speculate on how the book will look. Um, I guess the concept's cool. Concept's all right, I guess. Uh, this, the spy thing, I guess, is not as interesting to me, um, but it, it looks like uh, the the idea is there, very much akin to, um, what does he have to do? Um the king's what is it the kingsman yeah it is, that's it yeah it, it feels like it could be something along the lines of that yeah and uh he, he millar addressed that uh in what he had to say about this uh this upcoming series uh he said we've been quietly working on this for a couple of years in house and we're all buzzing about it the spy world was very good to us with kingsman and a return to the genre had to be something special this is that project I love stories about an old gunfighter back for one last job, and this is the granddaddy of them all. It's so incredibly violent and emotional, but really fun, too. I can't wait for people to see it and wanted to share a couple of the images we've been putting together for the comic book side of the project. These aren't from the artists we later chose for the book, but they're so good we wanted you to see them. We're really, really excited about this, and we'll release the name of the stellar comic book artist we've hired for, we've hired a little down the line um what yeah yeah i don't get that like what what does it matter i well, don't know you're supposed to be hyped for a mark millar project not a mark not a whoever mark millar is working with project yeah but i get i that's what i get excited for like mark and somebody yeah um, yeah yeah but that's not what mark millar wants you to be excited oh, about sure okay well i think even if you give him the benefit of the doubt right like that's just like a We've talked about it before. That's a consistent problem with how comics are talked about, right? Like, I, I, sure. The last time this came up, I brought up the Amazon uh, Prime, whatever fucking Twitter account was tweeting out, like, let's all thank Robert Kirkman for creating the Invincible comic and TV show. And some, you know, comic creator in our sphere, whatever, retweeted it and was like, oh, yeah, so what? Fuck Corey Walker and Ryan Otley then? I forgot. Uh, Robert Kirkman's a very talented artist, you know? <laughs> Letter or two. Well, he was actually that. <laughs> My thing is that um, I understand that happening when Amazon talks because sure. Amazon isn't, you know, the, the, I, I think that they I guess they, they have some type of comics imprint or whatever, but like they're not they're not in comics for comics sake. Mm -hmm. And so fine, you know. But Mark Millar is, and this is clearly deliberate. This is not an this is not an yeah. oversight. This is a choice, and I don't think that this announcement was done with comic book readers in mind. I think the announcement was done yeah. with the you know the Netflix end in mind, and you know I that like I don't see a reason to make any announcement about a comic if you're not going to talk about who the artist is. I don't see a reason to make an announcement about a comic and show off artwork that the artist who's doing the interiors didn't even do. That yeah. doesn't make sense. It's, it's really half the book. Weird. Yeah, it's like comics are not... Like, Mark Millard is not the only person working on the book. And quite frankly, 
like like Marco said, you know. Oh, it's quite frankly. <laughs> no, it's Frank Quitely. Oh. When I see a Mark Millar announcement, I don't care until I know who the artist is because that's. I mean, it's come comics. on, like, yeah, like that's comics. It is what it is, and and Mark Millar is one of the creators who gets to work with such amazingly talented artists every single book. And he himself is always talking about the, how the artist is making the book that much better. He's, he's one of the people who celebrates the artist that he works with. So this announcement doesn't make sense as a Mark Millar announcement, and it doesn't make sense as a comic book announcement. So why even talk about it? If you're not ready to say who the artist is, it's boneheaded. And by the way, not even a hint of a release date unless I misread, which tells me that this thing is not that far along. And so I have to wonder if this didn't have to be announced for other reasons, Netflix reasons. Yeah. 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 I mean, the promo images are credit of Netflix. Like they're not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Netflix owns Malar world, right? Like sure. But like, I don't know. It's funny to me because like how much do they think this is going to move the needle? Like, I feel like this acquisition has done nothing for them. Like, every one of the things that they've adapted so far has not worked out, right? Like, well, they did Jupiter's Legacy. What else did he do? That's it so far. Is that it so far? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Magic Circle's in development, I guess. Um, But yeah, I mean... Magic Order. Magic Order, thank you. Um, That got canceled after, you know, uh, Jupiter's Legacy got canceled after one season. Well, no, it's because Mark Millar is very busy doing other things. <laughs> yeah, sure. Not because of the quality of the show, okay? Yeah, sure, sure. Had nothing to do with the fact that it didn't wasn't received well, huh? <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't want to say that there's not value in the relationship. I, I definitely think there is. And Millar, you know, is a great, um, he's Car a good salesman. idea guy. Yeah, and a, and a good comic salesman. Um, and he's done a lot of things that are hugely successful. I just think that um, Netflix has to be careful that they understand the business that they are now in, um, because mm-hmm. this is not how you make a comic book announcement. It's just not. And you know, there aren't a ton of people who care about a comic announcement if it doesn't include the the name of the artist. You know, because we need to know what we can what we're in for. Like, please, there are, there are comics by creators writers who i like that i didn't buy because i didn't like the artist and vice versa by the way there are more more times the other way around where i like the artist but i don't like the writer um and so i skipped the book so this that's why this is important right i can't get hyped for a book i don't know what it's gonna look like please come on yeah, the announcement for Reborn. It's like Mark Millar's doing a book. It's like, hey, I've always wanted to get into Mark Millar. I don't know. And then it's like, Greg Capullo. I was like, word? Okay, cool. You got me. Sure. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, that's just ridiculous. Moving on, and this is the this is the article that's going to lead into our main topic. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter, they have a segment of their of their, you know, their reporting that's called Heat Vision. And there's where they do a lot of their like comic book stuff or, you know, whatever like that. And, um, well, uh, they certainly turned the heat up on social media this week because this article caused a lot of conversation. This is the this is the name of the article is the headline Marvel and DC's quote, shut up money. Comic creators go public over pay. 
And this is a pretty good article written by Aaron Couch over at The Hollywood Reporter that discusses the fact that a lot of creators don't feel that they're being properly compensated for their characters that they created for Marvel or DC becoming huge household names in blockbuster films that gross over a billion dollars. Notably, Ed Brubaker has talked about how angry he is about the fact that he created the Winter Soldier and receives more money from his cameo appearances in the movie than he does for the fact that he created a character that has gone on to, you know, be in films that have made, um, you know, billions of dollars at this point. That's got to be, that's got to burn. That's got to be hugely, uh, hugely frustrating. Uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, also said uh, in an interview with Polygon, he said, that he was fortunate enough to not have to depend on comics for a living. He said, I wish that Marvel found better ways to compensate the creators who helped make Black Panther, Black Panther. The article talks a lot about, um, you know, the, 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 the Siegel and Schuster stuff um, with Superman, how things went with um, the creators of Batman um, and, and all that. Uh, some really interesting notes that certainly I didn't know about. Uh, for example, they talk about how DC handles this stuff. And Paul Levitz was responsible uh, for two, from 2002 to 2009 as the president of DC to figure out who was owed what whenever a movie performed and whenever characters were used uh, in, in, in said movie. So... Uh, He said, Christian Bale liked looking at Tim Sale's work before he would go out and strike a pose. I'm not sure how you value that. But when you have a movie that is successful, as successful as Batman Begins or Dark Knight, it says that there's something there and you should thank them in some fashion. McFarlane, Todd McFarlane, of course, spoke about this issue and he said, you are paying the original creators crumbs. The first person who says we're going to pay three times crumbs is going to look like a genius and have a flood of talent coming in your direction. I'm putting together a contract that will address that in a much more significant way. This is sad. It's sad um, that this is a problem that keeps coming up. Um, Obviously, creators like Ed Brubaker and Nehesi Coates are fine, right? Like, Ed Brubaker, I'm not, I don't know his financials, right? But he's done a lot of successful things and um, continues to be a creator who's sought after and who gets paid a lot of money to make comic books um, and other things. So he's, he's fine. But the article also talks about people like Roy Thomas, who was a big name in comics in times where there weren't movies making billions of dollars. And he created those characters at those times, you know, where creators probably weren't being paid as much as they are now. And we're still talking about creators not being paid enough. But uh, he's notably been someone who has been happy with his relationship with Marvel as it relates to this stuff. Um, And he has said that, you know, they tend to pay him uh, fairly well. He created the timekeepers and uh, wasn't properly credited has gone on to say that that situation was fixed. His manager takes care of all that stuff. Um, He was credited in Black Widow for creating Red Guardian, uh, co-creating Red Guardian. Um, So, yeah, 
this is a this is a major issue and I wanted to use this article as a jumping off point to talk about a larger conversation that I think is important to have, which is, is there even money in making comics? Because on the creation end, right, you create these characters for Marvel or DC. Let's just talk about the big two for a moment. And I'm, you know, I'm going to shut up in a moment, but you create these characters and they own, you know, you, you knew that. You created them. You created them uh, under a contract that states that Marvel will own the things you create, and you create them, and you get compensated for that. And then the character goes on to be in a movie that makes a whole boatload of money. I think Ed Brubaker is a great example because Ed Brubaker created Winter Soldier in two thousand and five, two thousand six, somewhere around there. Yeah. What'd you say, Kale? I said three, 2003. Um, it's in that, it's in that space. ballpark. Yeah. 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 So it's not even a decade later that the character makes their first appearance in a movie that goes on to be incredibly successful. Captain America winter soldier was a very, very successful movie. Winter soldier might be, I don't, I don't have, all the data in front of me, but Winter Soldier might be the most recent character introduced in film to that point. Uh, in a sense that all the characters otherwise were older than him. I think mm-hmm. I think I might be correct. I think on you're that. right about that. Yeah, there that might sounds be an right. example that's you know well not um, yet, but like Kamala Khan. Yeah, but I'm I mean there's been now. other characters that were more recent than even her. Yeah. But like he's at that time the most recent, I think. Yeah. So that's how, only phase two, right? That's yeah, that's phase two. That's twenty. Winter Soldier is like twenty fourteen. Yeah. So this this character is maybe ten years old at that point. Maybe. Right. <laughs> so you create them right before, right before this whole thing takes off, uh-huh. and there's a rocket ship on these characters, and it's got to eat at you that you're not seeing major residuals for that. But my question is. And this is going to lead into our main topic. My question is, is that anybody's fault but yours? Mm. All right. So I know that that is a, you know, that's a wild question, right? Uh, The idea that it might be the fault of the creators and not the big machines. But I do want to explain that just a little bit. If you work for Marvel or DC, you know that they own the rights to the characters that you create. You just, it is what it is. So I get why you would feel angry or bitter, but I don't know if that is anything more than just you not doing more due diligence in your contract to say, hey, I want certain things for when this character, uh, you know, is in a movie or a TV show or whatever. I want certain you know, financial guarantees because in, and this is something that's in the article in these contracts, Marvel and DC are under very little to no obligation to pay these creators. So paying them is saying, thank you at this point, it's not a contractual obligation. So what should be done and whose fault is it that this is the situation that these creators are in? Hey, Man, I kind of, I've, I fall in line with that, I think, a little bit. 
just because it is not, <clears throat> and this is, uh, I spoke to Marina about this because I like to get her opinion on like these contract HR kind of situations. It is not the right of the individual to get compensated. It is the right of the individual to negotiate the contract upon which their, their term or tenure of, of employment is. And like, I hate that's, business. I hate it so much. And like, that's where that shit falls. That's where that line is. It's not that cool. You work for me and therefore you get paid. It is you work for you work for me and we negotiate what makes you happy. What makes, what makes me happy. Um, and that's an unfortunate reality, but the, the right there to negotiate that, I think, and what a lot of people argue consistently about having, you know, a, a, a comics uh, union is, is the, the answer to some extent mm. to that is to be able to, as a unit of creators, negotiate the contract so that in the future, these situations don't, don't crop up. And they might in different ways. Um, they might continue to. And and one of the things that, uh, as I was talking to Miranda about this, was she she said, well, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's a it's a strategy to also just dismiss the person and hire somebody who's not as smart. Yep. And and that is very much the reality. Is oh well, okay, cool, uh, Brubaker, you're not trying, to, you don't want to play ball. All right, that's fine. We'll. Put somebody else on, on the, the docket who maybe on a creative standpoint might not have the same output. Um, but uh, we can we can retain the the rights to certain things, the the money aspect stays where it is, and somebody dumber is gonna accept this um, this contract and you know, dumber in that they're not gonna be as savvy for something. But uh, that's where I sort of lie on, and I think they should be able to negotiate the contract to make something more fair. I do think that that is something that would benefit creators would benefit um, the relationships between the big two and creators. Um, but whether or not that that's going to be something that they're interested in kind of falls down to what, what Miranda said is there will, we'll dismiss you and find somebody who's willing to play ball. And I, I think that, you know, like that's true, but I think that, I think that these companies do that at their own peril. Um, you know, we had a main topic not that long ago <clears throat> where, you know, um, you know, Sean had made the case that, that he didn't feel like he was getting as much bang from his buck, uh, or as much bang for his buck from Marvel books lately. And that they weren't, that the quality of stories wasn't living up to the eras that you look back fondly on. Right. And to me, like you can talk about, you know, um, the responsibility of the creator to advocate for themselves and, and all those things. And maybe, maybe there's some truth to that, but right when you think about a lot of creators and we talk about how much money there is to be made in comics and stuff like that, like if you want a steady paying gig, you don't have a ton of options. Um, so yeah, but like if you're somebody who's trying to like pay your bills and stay in the game, who are you that you can negotiate with fucking Disney or Warner Brothers, right? Like they're subsidiaries, but yeah, they've got the ability to out negotiate and outmaneuver you if you're not uh, Ed Brubaker or a Jim Starlin, who is somebody that people care about and can rally bad PR against the big bad company, right? Um, up and coming creators, younger creators don't have that luxury. And to Sean's point about Winter Soldier, or not, you know, the point that's brought up in the article, right? Winter Soldier was created before Iron Man. 
So how would Ed Brubaker have known that there was going to be... Not Iron Man, the character, the film. Yes. Um, How would Ed Brubaker have known that there was going to be an MCU 10 years later where his character was going to get leveraged to make a multi, you know... Uh, million dollar, in, you know, billion dollar probably if you consider the numerous appearances of the character, the merchandise, costumes, yeah. toys, all that shit that he doesn't see a penny of. And I he think he does see a penny. He just, sure. He's not happy with what he sees. Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's what he sees is the penny. Is the penny, not the dollar. <laughs> and. And, you know, um, you can make that argument that, well, he agreed to that and that's Marvel's right and blah, blah, blah. You're right. That's why it works out the way it works out. However, I think that, like, if you want creators who are at the top of their field, who are at the top of their game, who are young and up and coming and whatever, to keep coming to you and creating new characters for you, like, you should think about what that looks like and that, like, you should want to keep them happy aside from just controlling bad press. Because at the end of the day, like without Ed Brubaker making, you know, uh, Winter Soldier in that run in 2004, they don't make that billion dollars on the Winter Soldier movie, you know, years later. And, you know, I think I don't think that it's coincidental that Sean has just had us talk about a topic where he feels like there's a talent issue at Marvel right now, you know, and not to say that the people that are there aren't talented. That's not what I'm trying to assert. But like. If you want the best stories, if you want iconic new characters, new villains, whatever, what incentive does a creator have to go and do that work for a Marvel or DC if Marvel or DC is going to say, well, fuck you, I'm going to take what you created and leverage it for multi-million dollar film, animation, video games, whatever deals and... We'll give you we'll give you a gift because because that's our we're benevolent. Right. It's like, yeah, like, how are you not going to feel burdened by that? How are you not going to, you know, question if it's even worth it for you to come back? You know, we talked about Grant Morrison earlier this episode. Right. Um, Going working in different mediums, going and working on different projects and stuff like that. Like maybe Grant Morrison would still be at D.C. if they were paying a better rate if they let you maintain some percentage of rights over the things that you create if they promised you a percentage of the profits for the things that you create any of those things maybe some of those a s tier creators that we want to see working at marvel in dc would still be there and wouldn't be at an image or a boom or wherever trying to make their own shit and that's the prime reason people of the generation that sean and i like Matt Fraction, Rick Remender, Brubaker left. They've they left the big two and only, you know, Fraction recent only recently came back for a brief run at DC. You know, but they weren't getting paid. They weren't, you know, getting what they wanted out of it. So they left. Or what they feel like they could make elsewhere. And it's and it's yeah. hard to argue with that. Because you look at, you know, the the question being, right, is there money in making comics? Yeah, there can be, but it's tough. And, like, you look at somebody like a Robert Kirkman, right, where it's like he did that same grind. He was a grunt, you know, at at Marvel. He was writing Ultimate X-Men. He was, you know, he had a couple runs. And then he went off and became a a fucking millionaire, a multimillionaire, because he was able to create something that he retained the rights to. And, like, if you're a, a, a creator of, you know, of even a similar caliber, right, like, how is that not where your mind goes of like, well, I'd be better off working for myself. I can, I have complete creative freedom. I can work on whatever I want. And if it hits, I own it and I maintain it and I can sell the movie rights and I can become a millionaire too. 
You know, you're not going to become a millionaire working at Marvel in DC like that. Mm. I mean, maybe you can if you're the greatest of all time, you know, but like, I don't know. Well, I think I think that uh, you can make that argument both ways, right? Because there's not a lot of Robert Kirkman's. That's true. So if if you're going to hold up like Bendis, let's say, mm. sure, as the example of I did it through Marvel in DC, Kirkman would be the example of I did it on my own. Sure. And just like there are probably not going to be many Bendises, there probably won't be many Kirkmans. I would say that the likelihood is that there are more Kirkmans than Bendises only because of the fact that, you know, something can hit. And if your thing hits, you will only become a Kirkman or, or I should say rich off comics if you go the Kirkman route. Um because you will retain the rights to that thing. Mm-hmm. Bendis is 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 rich because you know he had the hot, one of the hottest runs. I mean, probably the hottest run in the modern era of comic books uh, in the two thousands. And you know he will never not have money as a result of that. Sure. But yeah, it goes both ways, and I don't think that either end of that spectrum is even what we should be really talking about. I think it's more about the people who are in the middle mm-hmm. or even lower than that. Yeah. And what's best for those people. Um, Rick Remender is somebody who like Rick Remender is probably my favorite writer. And I love and respect his work a lot. And I wish that Rick Remender's work was more popular. Um, He left Marvel to go and do his own thing because he was burned out on the grind and on having to tell stories with other people's toys and then put them away at the end and not, you know, have any stake in that. Um, and so he went off to do his own thing. And he has talked about the financial struggles that he has had over the years um, because he didn't have that Marvel paycheck. Right. So, you know, we talk about Marvel and DC need to pay more, etc. It seems like the guy was eating pretty well before he left. And I don't know his financials now, but in the maybe like two years after he left, where like I was seriously reading every single newsletter and everything else, you know, he did talk a lot about that that problem. So if if we're talking about creators who have the ability to leave Marvel and do their own thing, yes, I think there is money in it, but I also think there's less security in it and you have to really go and get your back, you know, in a way that you don't have to when you work for Marvel. So it's unfair in my opinion to solely put this on Marvel because you are getting something out of it that you don't get the other way. You are getting a security to know, okay, I have a consistent paycheck. That's not going to change that. I don't have to go and hustle for, I just have to sit and do the work. I don't have to go and sell my comics at conventions. I literally can can go to the convention and have a good time, you know, or I can go to the convention and take my meetings and stuff without having to sit at my booth and work. And and maybe that's true, but I also think that like how many people are there at that level that have like a sustainable career ahead of them in comics then though. You know, cuz like I think that like that that it's it's you know, you're you're definitely right that there are people like that who are like that's their full time job and and that's like you know what they do. Um, but like, where do you go from there if you don't become a breakout? You know, 
Like, I, I don't know. Like, I think I think this is interesting because, like, I and I I don't know if if y'all saw this uh, tweet from a uh, friend of the show, Jeremy Holt, who we've had on uh, fairly recently. Um, they tweeted uh, about this a couple days ago. I probably imagine while that conversation was going on. Yeah. And um, they said, I still have a day job and probably always will. It's taken me years to embrace this fact without thinking I failed as a writer. Truth is, I'm lucky to have a day job that pays my bills so I can create without the financial pressure to do so. And I, th- I think that, you know, that kind of speaks to what you're talking about, Sean, right? That like that there is a safety net there that like a job at a Marvel or a DC, if you've got a stable gig is going to be more stable than, you know, than the, the gamble you take betting on yourself and hoping that, you know, your your great American graphic novel is the next, you know, Walking Dead or whatever. Right. Um, not everybody's going to find that level of success. That's for sure. But. I don't know, I, I guess. I guess at least then, like, you have the the prom or not the promise of, but, like, the opportunity for that, right? To, like, give yourself a leg up and see a, a, a version of your career where you get the freedom to do the things you want to do. Um, but, I mean, how many people win that gamble is the question. But that's your choice, right? Yeah. And in the case of Jeremy Holt, you know, Jeremy Holt is not a new creator to themselves, but they're a new creator to the market as a as a name, right? Like Made mm-hmm. in Korea is very new. And I wouldn't say that they're known for a particular thing to the masses. So that statement that they made is not necessarily true, that they will never be able to make comics their full-time job. That's like, I don't even frankly know why you would say that about yourself. Um you know, you're, 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 you're betting on yourself enough to do this work. Right. So shouldn't you have hopefully the confidence that I'm going to keep working at this and and make this happen. It's not out of the realm of possibility. You know, we have creators that have done it. Is it hard? Yeah, of course. But guess what? Dirk Manny, right. Who doesn't work at Marvel or DC or even image is a creator who doesn't have a day job anymore. It took him, you know, 10 years plus, but he's there. Yeah. And and I, I think something that I saw that was interesting, too, in that that discourse is that, like, there are a lot of people um, who are in the industry and like their full time gig is comics, um, but that also have like uh, there's context to their ability to do that. That is maybe not known, you know, that there are like a lot of creators who um you look at as like having quote unquote made it or whatever right and they have like a spouse that has a job yeah. that provides them with full-time health insurance you know um or or something like that something to that effect where the ability to work for yourself or to work for less than you maybe could make somewhere else or whatever is offset by the fact that maybe you've got a partner who can support you maybe you've got some family money maybe you've you know whatever right um there are creators who exist in that uh, space as well, where to you or I, we might think, oh, they made it. They're, they're success. That's their full-time job. That's how they do it. But you know, they've got some, they've got a leg up that maybe another creator doesn't have the opportunity to leverage. You know, Uh, if you're a single person supporting yourself, like that, that is a challenge, you know? I think that that argument can be made for a lot of different types of careers Mm -hmm. and creatively speaking, you know, this is a problem. This is a conversation we've had on this show several times. If you are a creator 
that doesn't make it automatic that you should make a that you will make a livable wage mm-hmm. or that because you create something you must make a livable wage you know unfortunately that's just how it works and that's not any different in any other space like if you like uh if you're a writer for television shows you know like you're not guaranteed the jobs you know someone has to hire you and if they don't hire you you don't work and if they hire you the money you're making may not be enough for you to live where you have to live to do that job which is typically la um so I think that it's very complicated. And and like for me personally, right, I think comic book creators should make all the money because um, I want that. You know, um, I want to see them succeed and I would love to be that. So, I, of course, I want there to be money in comics, but I'm not sure that there is in the way that it seems like the discourse has gone. It see, the discourse seems to be comic creators need to be paid more. The end. And I'm saying Comic book creators need to be paid more, but, and on the comic book end, I don't actually think that there is the money in comics to create a situation where all creators will be whole, made whole and sustained by the industry. I don't think that the industry is there. Um, and on the movie end, I think if you're signing contracts with Marvel or DC, and it's important to you, like if you're Donny Cates, right? Who just created the the um, uh, you know the King in Black? Um, no, no. I don't know, if, Mark. He created no, right? Uh, I don't think he created it. I think he brought it from like something else. But oh, he, like, he has been using it prom- prominently. Okay, actually, I think I think no was used by Bendis as well. So it might it might not have been his creation. But like, let's say that storyline, right? The King in Black storyline, because they do pay people based on storylines and give them thanks and things like that. So maybe if you're Donny Cates, you say, "Hey, um, you know, I want to make sh- that oh, created." Yeah. No, yep, yeah, yeah. Okay. A- apparently, first appearance Thor, God of Thunder, number six. There you go. Um, wait, Thor, God of Thunder, number six. Yeah, that, it says it was his first appearance, but he's unnamed, and then he was named in 2018. Oh, okay. Okay, got it. That makes sense. Say you, you're you Donnie Cates and you created no, maybe you go, hey, uh, for this character, I want to make sure that I get X amount of, you know, rewards if the character goes somewhere beyond my story. Yeah. And then that's the negotiation that you have to do. And if they tell you no... Mm, I, mean, I think I think that's where I get frustrated with it is that if you're not a Donny Cates, if you're not somebody that Marvel feels like they need, um, they won't give you that, you know, and I feel like that should just be par for the course, right? That like if you like even as a work for hire contract, right? The idea that like, yeah, we own this character in perpetuity, but if this if we use this character and make billions of dollars, you or your state will get something you know and it should be an agreed upon percentage you know that's like that we that you know comic creators can agree is fair but the problem is for that kind of thing to happen and it comes back to what marco brought up earlier there needs to be a comic creators union there needs to be a union that represents the totality of you know mainstream creators who want to join in and buy into this union so that they can negotiate collectively for what that percentage is. Say it's 10%, right? You get some kind of, you know, whatever, right? You get this payout based on how much the movie draws, how much the action figure draws, whatever the fuck it is, you know? Um, And I think having something like that in place would, would be a really like 
a really comforting thing, I think, for creators who are working for hire and wanting to feel like they can, you know, um, can be, what's that? So, so they can feel like they can trust the big two. Well, and, and that they like, they don't feel like, I don't know. Cause I can't help but feel like if I was in one of those shoes and you have this great idea for a character, it's like, oh, maybe I saved that for a creator owned book, you know, like things like that, you know, or like, mm. I think it would be if there was a promise that you're going to be rewarded if your work is successful. It it not only does it you know engender trust. I think it also um, makes it feel like you. I don't know. I feel like you'd feel more empowered to pull it put it all on the line. You know, rather than being like, oh, I want to save my really good ideas for my own stuff. You know, I can see that. Maybe I, I'm I, projecting, but I, no, I, yeah, I think that I think that definitely makes sense. Um, I mean, in the financial world is make like financial incentive, right? That like at the end of the day, if we're going to pay you for X number of work, uh, X number of hours, and you're going to be able to retain some portion of it, um, you're going to be able to put maybe a bit more quality into it. Potentially it's not guaranteed, nor is it necessarily required. Um, but my, my thought immediately went to um, there's a new Marvel book reptile um, by Terry Blass. And, uh, I mean, Reptile is a superhero who takes parts like he hit parts of his body can transform into dinosaur parts. I don't see this character Sick. becoming an MCU staple, right? So, it, it is it worth the contract negotiation for that? Yes. Uh, yes. I mean, I think that's the thing is if you bake it in as as a thing that's just understood, then you don't even have to negotiate every single time. You know. Hmm. Like, if it was yeah. just, like, yeah, you as the creator of this character are entitled to X. You know, like, that that conversation, at least you start at a baseline of something, right? And Well, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Sean. Go ahead. I was going to say, there is a baseline. Like, these creators do get money. The pro- the argument is that they're they not entitled like to it, right, money. is the thing, though? They're not, yeah, they're not entitled to, they're, yeah, they're not entitled to it. They're, they're not it. entitled. They're not entitled to I more guess, than whatever's provided. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like there is a there is a baseline from what I can tell, um, and then after that, like it's yeah, whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. yeah, and like and like obviously the individual creators, like you know, like Jim Starlin, you know, famously negotiated for more money, and he was happy about that and everything. I think that should all stay as is, right? Like there's a baseline, and if you feel like at a certain point, okay, this has made an insane amount of money, I feel like I'm deserving of a little bit more, then you litigate, right? You renegotiate. That's fine. They leave that as is. But I think just giving the creators some kind of like assurance that like, hey, yeah, like we own this, we own this character. This is a Marvel character. But you created it, and we're going to honor that. We're going to respect that if it makes us a ton of fucking money. I feel like that's the least you could do uh, as a sign of good faith in terms of, like, you know, establishing a covenant on some level between creators and the business, you know, Um, because both halves need each other. Yeah. um, I think ultimately, you know, I do think that creators have to advocate for themselves and um you know i think uh, in the in the ed brubaker example like you know if it's brubaker if it's kate if it's some someone who's really talented you know um you might think you don't have the ball but you do mm. because marco made the point 
oh, well, they can just go with someone else. I think in the business world, that probably is true. Like if you're looking for a front desk person or you're looking for a back end person where there are a lot of people who can do that and it's a binary thing. Yeah. But in cre- creatively, it's not the same. Mm-mm. You can't find another Ed Brubaker. So like if Ed Brubaker says, I have this great idea for this character that's going to like rock your socks, but I won't do it unless you promise me X money. Marvel can say, go screw yourself. But if they do that, we never get Winter Soldier in the movies. And that's that's not good for Marvel, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think that Marvel or DC could afford to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, those creators have to recognize their own power and say, I'm not going to stand for this. And if they refuse to stand for it and then they go and do their own thing, now you got to bet on yourself. And that's cre- that's the creative, that's the existence that we have to accept as creators. We do this podcast. There's no guarantee of money. You know, there's, there's just not. It is what it is, you know. Um, and you can be mad about it or you can I make am. yourself make money. <laughs> you can make you can make what you do valuable. You have to create the value. No one else can create the value. And the difference between working at Marvel or DC and working for yourself is that they have inherent value. When someone buys a Marvel comic, like you know, if you buy if you buy Sinister War, you know, what's the value on this comic? It's the name Marvel and it's the character Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Then it's you know, Spencer and Bagley and whoever else, but they're riding that wave. So it's, it's symbiotic. Marvel needs the creators. DC needs the creators. The creators need need them. So I don't know. And, And that's the thing is that's, that's why I think it's frustrating is that like, it doesn't need to be this way. You know, like they're like, I, I think that when you're talking about, you know, the adaptation side of things, like there's a lot of money to be made on comic book characters, we all know that. Yeah. And there's there's no argument in my mind that can be made that some more of that money deserves to go into the hands of the people that are responsible or their, you know, their families whatever. Um and and that's that's it. Like I I I don't think that like Marvel or DC have to be the bad guy in this conversation. Um you know, it's 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 as simple as like you know, it, it is as simple as like comic creators needing to advocate for themselves. But I think that the way that that happens in a way that really materially benefits them in the way that we're talking about, they got to unionize. You know, you got to have a union that has people like you're talking about, Sean, the Cates, the Brewbakers, the Kirkmans, whoever, the people that are the fucking powerhouses would need to get behind that and leverage their power to help out the up and comers, the middle of, you know, the jobbers, like the people that don't have that ability to advocate for themselves in that way. Um, There's power in a union. There's power in collective bargaining because like, you're absolutely right that like both sides of the conversation need each other. Um, But if all of the creators band together and say, look, like we're not taking this deal anymore. Right. And the only people that are going to go work for a Marvel or a DC until they, you know, have that conversation and that negotiation are scabs. <laughs> you know, that's that's what's really going to move the needle. That's what's really going to make it so that comic creators are getting compensated in the way that that I think that I would argue they should be. You know, 
Um, and and it's it is I think to your point, Sean, too, right? It's not like a it's not a pure like you get your foot in the door, you get a comic out the door, you deserve you know uh, a a hundred thousand dollars a year in full health benefits, right? But I think when you are somebody, you know, to to bring it back to Brubaker, um, that's creating characters that are marquee characters that are you know making millions billions of dollars for one of the richest companies in the world i th- i think it's fair to say he's entitled to a little little chunk of that change retroactively yeah because that becomes that yes. becomes the, the legal issue that's my whole argument is i don't care i don't think that matters at all um at, at all like it, it's insane to me that like that there's this idea that like that has no value you know, like, like why, like, why does Disney get to make that call? Like, and that's the whole problem. Like when we talk about like, but, but it does giant- have value. It, it, it's the payment that they got for, for making it during their tenure on, under the contract. Like that is the value received and the value agreed upon. Like, it's not that, that Disney just said, oh, we're, we're not going to not pay you. It, there was, there was compensation and. Yeah. And the compensation was for work on a comic book, not for creating a character that you can leverage in every other medium in perpetuity. Like, and I mean, yeah, that is what, how it's being handled, but that's not fair is my point. And Ed Brubaker doesn't have the legal resources that Disney does, that Marvel does, you know? And like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, like I get it, like businesses are businesses, but like you're building your business on the back of, of art and on, on of creatives and to not, um, to not be willing to, you know, pay them what I think they deserve is, is yeah. Like I, I think that there is something wrong with that, you know? Um, and, and I don't, you know, I don't think it's like, it doesn't have to be this, um, you know, all I want, I want Disney to be more benevolent, you know, or whatever. Like to me, it's a, it's a matter of fairness and equity, right? Like they are profiting off of his work without his work. They don't make that billion dollars. And to say that you can't, you know, um, that you can't honor that in a, in a more formal way uh, throughout all your contracts because you know that there's a pipeline now from the comic book page to the movie screen or whatever is I think is um, is not is not the right way to do business you know and that's not a good way to to have to attract the talent of the best people in the industry, which is what they should want to be doing. They can make a billion dollars and still pay Ed Brubaker more money is, is the, is the bottom line, you know? Um, and I, I think that there's no justification for that. There really isn't in my mind. Yeah, I guess, I guess on my end, the, the justification there still is as, is that you're, you're still not entitled to it because the right doesn't fall on payment, but on negotiation. Uh, my, my thought goes to like, uh, uh, I go on Fiverr, right? I make a comic with somebody on off of Fiverr and it blows up. It makes a million dollars. And then the artist comes back and says, Hey, I deserve X number of dollars. The, the, the time period upon which we worked says otherwise the, whatever the, the platform itself inherently says otherwise, what, what do you say to the, the, the Fiverr artist. Yeah, absolutely. Here you go. Yeah. I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like what? What? (laughs) That's half their work. And then the work was completed. 
before they knew it became a million dollar property. So Marco is Margo is saying the person was paid and the contract. No, I get what he's saying. It's just it's it's shitty. (laughs) Like it it like you're gonna blow up on the back of somebody else? Fuck that. And like yeah, this business is business, is you know, like Pete said, and and you know, Marco, I know you're very uh in the contract business world. Like there's gotta be some standard, right? Like these people have to live. You're building empires off these people. Pay them. It's like it's not hard. Do what's right. What does Marvel need an empire for? I mean, that's the thing is I want I want businesses to do what's right, but they won't, which is why for me, it, it comes back to the Comics Creator Union again and again. Yeah, I'm with that. I, I, I have no delusions, and I don't think anyone should, about what businesses are going to do. Um, you know, they're not they're, – it's not in their best interest to, uh, to, to retroactively pay Ed Brubaker. All it would do is make him happy, and his happiness is not valuable to Disney. Well, it would set a precedent also is the would, is the other issue. And that's that's I think is the larger would, concern. <laughs> that's the thing, right? Like you I think I think there's an argument to be made that it sets a precedent, yeah, that loses them money maybe in the short term, but like you make the argument that like you wanna make Marvel the most attractive place to create comics so that you can continue to build your empire off of IP development, you know? Yeah, but I also think that, you know, the MCU is so far along that they don't necessarily like realistically, if there were no more comic books ever again, the MCU would be okay. Sure. Sure. So there is no, there is no world in which it's objectively better for Disney to do this because they don't need the creators. If we were talking about like, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, all these characters were created and then the MCU started like five years later and there were no ideas. Yeah, but that's just not the case. Um, So I agree with you that people should stop expecting or begging for Disney or, you know, um, Warner to do what's right and do work, operate in the, and I agree with Marco, operate in the, operate in the within the language and framework that they operate in. Mm-hmm. You're trying to operate from a moralistic standpoint, and that's not what matters uh, to the people you're trying to appeal to. Right, yeah. So They're never going to uh, appeal to common decency. Not, not with financial incentives. No, yeah, there's yeah. no reason for them to, right? No, like, absolutely not. I mean, the problem. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And, and I think that's why it comes. Yeah, but we're talking about a solution, Kale, and you're just mad. Yeah, so. And that's what I'm talking about. That the being mad part is not helpful. The solution part is what's helpful. Uh, yeah. that, you got to direct that anger well, at now I'm mad. a solution. I don't care if you're mad. That's the point. Well, I don't care about your solution. Well, then you're not helping the people that you're I didn't mad. sign up to You're help, not getting I? paid, Kale, then. And? Well, then that's it. You should be mad <laughs> and not get paid. Well, what else is new? I think the last thing that I wanted to mention was alongside the the union and and being able to to negotiate it in in groups and for different things, there needs to be uh, cohesion within the 
the editorial teams within uh, upper, like within higher level staff to be able to push it through, right? Because you can approach these negotiations, but if you also don't have internal pressure, I don't think that it, it, it will behoove you to have that internal pr- pressure because you have people who are friends alongside uh, people doing business with these lawyers, people doing business within who are the decision makers. Um, and I think having an editor or seven on your side is better than just being a creator. Well, I, I mean, I think that editors and artists and, you know, everyone should get in, in get that union. That. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Because um, the workers, you know, edit- editors, I mean, you know, we don't even like talk about how important editors are to comics. Like, you know, they 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 make the com- at Marvel and DC editors make comics. Like, not not um, I'm not saying like every single time or in every single instance, but there are plenty of times where the editor is the person who came up with the idea and pitched it to X person, and then they went and wrote it. But that was that editor's idea. That happens regularly at Marvel and DC. I mean, even even in at Image though, like in in, in a more or at an Image, right? Like at those kinds of uh, places, a lot of editors are very deeply involved in the process, you know. And like we've had creators come on and say that, you know, yeah. um, that there are like you know someone like a Heather Antos that like really gets involved and drives the direction of the book and and offers you know, uh, criticism and critique that helps shape the story and, and where it goes, you know, like, yeah, those people are, are uh, to me, it's all creatives, right? It's the, it's the artists, colorists, letterers, writers, editors. It's, it's the people that actually fucking make comics that need to bargain against the lawyers and the suits and, you know, the, the money people, you know, um, who also play a role. I'm not going to sit here and say that they don't, but you know, their their interests are pretty diametrically opposed, you know, um, and there's got to be a way for the creators to advocate for themselves. Agreed. And I think we can leave it there. So uh, if you have a take on this, uh, definitely feel free to write in and let us know what that is, uh, whether you are hot on it and, and, you know, like Kale or, you know, you're coming in somewhere in the middle between all of us. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts. Uh, hit us up at the comicspals at gmail.com. While you're still thinking about us, make sure you leave us a follow, rating, review, whatever it is, wherever you're listening to us. If that happens to be on YouTube, please do make sure to hit the subscribe button before you jump. Uh, like the video, share it with your friends, drop us a comment. All those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Can't underscore enough how important it is that you guys uh, support us in that way. Just like the creators we just talked about, you know, we exist basically um, off of your support. So, um, you know, it, it means a lot. We're actually, uh, I think, six subscribers away from 400 on YouTube. So if, you've, if you're not subscribed and you're a regular listener, definitely please do head over there and just hit that subscribe button. It'll take you like, I don't know, 20 seconds. Set your watch. 20 seconds. Even if you plan and on I- never watching the YouTube, just do us a solid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even hit the notification bell if you don't want to. But if you do want to, go ahead and hit that. Want to reiterate the announcement. Of course, we are going to be teaming up with Tyler Olsen uh, for a lot of different things. But the most forward one is his game that he created called Journey into Quistory. Uh, We're going to be playing that on Sunday, the 25th, which is just this next Sunday. 
Uh, so tune in at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash the comics pals and uh, come have a blast with us and, uh, and Tyler. Uh, and also on the review front, I do want to reiterate that we are going to be putting out our uh, comic book reviews on Thursdays now. So just the day after they get released on Wednesdays, you'll be able to listen to our, our thoughts on everything Marvel, DC, etc. And our image reviews will stay at their home on Wednesday releases. Uh, so, And just to clarify, if you're listening on Monday, that'll be next week. So this week's reviews will still drop on Sunday, but we'll start doing Wednesday, Thursday next week. Yes. Yeah. Time's confusing. <laughs> I was confused about that too, actually. How could you be confused? You're part of the plan. Listen, nobody told me the plan. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, mm. Anyway. I guess I ought uh, to negotiate better for myself, huh? Probably, yeah. Uh, or just you know, never uh go ahead p plugs thanks thanks for joining us here on another episode of the comic spells uh this is this is a good one uh if you want to um talk to me about what you thought about this stuff or whatever else we talked about today or whatever uh i'm at loud underscore pete on twitter and instagram come chat with me about uh what you're reading watching and playing whatever give me some recommendations um and uh yeah if you want to get some more stuff from me uh you can go check out uh the podcast on mondays it's a video game podcast i host uh but the big thing i want to plug this week is this is the going to be the last week for you to get your hands on some uh long friend time friend limited edition vinyl it'll be a one of a kind performance that will record specifically for you so i could like leave you a special message and stuff i could tell you you know the worst deepest darkest secrets that phil has and now that he's dead um I'll, you know i'll give them all to you uh, so uh, I'm going to make that my pin yeah. tweet this week. So by the time you're listening to this, uh, if you go follow I'm again, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter. My pin tweet will have where you can go and uh, grab your exclusive vinyl. I hope you'll show your support so that they will allow me to do this again. I can't believe someone allowed me to do it the first time. Let's make it happen twice. <laughs> Kill. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. You can find my work at kaleward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. And um, uh, whatever. Uh, you can find – oh, hang on. What's what's this? Hey, y'all. It's me, Miss Minutes. Uh, you can find Phil. He just, he wanted to text me and tell him, told me to do his plugs. You can find him at, on Twitter at Cyborg Bebop. That's C-Y-B-O-R-G-B-E-O-P. You missed that. That wasn't oh. right. I'm a supercomputer. I should know better. Okay. It's alternate Phil's uh, <laughs> handle. Beop. <laughs> Cyborg Beop. Oh, man. Uh, Marco. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Marco Nomoto. And come talk to me about why the cruel, cold world of business maybe makes sense. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. Marco, I'm going to clip that out so that when the planet is burning, I'm going to send that to you. And you know what? I'll be I'll be at the, the highest tower in the tallest, tallest room. He'll, he'll be fucking burning and uh, dying in space alone with Elon Musk. We're no, starting a new, anyway, we're starting so. a new, com- uh, new space community, Kale. Yeah, we worked what? out the contract. Maybe you would have made it. I don't want to go. Well, Ass. I do. So I'll do, I'll give you my plugs before we get the hell out of here. Uh, 
You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. I'm currently playing through God of War. It's a very good game. Lots of fun. Um, the original one? Hell yeah. Uh, no, no, no. The new oh. one. The new one. Um, wow. Wow. No, yeah. Actually, though, I was playing through that uh, before I started this. Um, but yeah, having a lot of fun with that. Uh, hit me up with your thoughts about uh, all the awesome stuff that's coming to theaters. I went to see Black Widow. I'm so happy that theaters are back. And I can't wait to go again for Suicide Squad in a few weeks. So hit me up if you are back in theaters and uh, share your excitement. Share my excitement. Uh, with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Hey, y'all. It's me, Miss Minutes. Y'all want to hear my Owen Wilson, Wilson impression? We out. We out.